0: Wessex LMC's supporting you and your practice. Hello, everybody. Um, I'm Louise Greenwood from Wessex LMC's, and I'm really pleased this afternoon to be welcomed by two guests. Um, so we've got Dr. Um, Sarah Kay is going to be in conversation with a colleague today. And I'm going to pass over to Sarah straight away to introduce this colleague and how delighted she is to welcome her into the studio. So I'll, um, Sarah, over to you. Thank you, Louise. So I'm Dr. Sarah Kay. I'm the GP Clinical Lead for
1: Patient Safety at NHS Dorset, and I'm also a portfolio GP. And I was at a meeting the other day and uh, Chrissy was there too. It was a meeting on suicide prevention. And I was really excited because I don't think I've actually met um, a colleague from CAMS even uh, on a screen since I was a trainee. So Chrissy, would you like to introduce yourself and your background? And we'll talk a little bit about safety in children and assessing children with mental health problems.
2: Fantastic. It's lovely to be here, Sarah. Thank you. And thanks, Louise. Um, okay. Yes. So I'm a doctor in CAMS, child psychiatrist. I'm an associate specialist, but I'm also the named doctor for safeguarding for Dorset Healthcare. Um, and I've worked in CAMS for 20 plus years. So a long time, really. Fantastic. And Chrissy, um, as GPs, we
1: quite frequently see families who have got concerns about mental health. And as a GP, safeguarding is clearly right at the forefront of our mind. And it can make us quite nervous sometimes um, when we feel that there is um, a level of risk and how to quantify that risk. Mm. That's what I wanted to talk to you about today, um, about young people with self-harm. So when should we worry? What are the red flags that you look for?
2: Yeah, I think it's it's an interesting thing. Um, and I think... That young people can present as very risky, but it n- doesn't necessarily mean that they need a CAMs service. That's the challenge, really. And as opposed to thinking, "Oh, surely this child must be risky enough to get into CAMs. It's more about, is there risk due to a mental illness, and should we be treating that?" And you know, making those assessments are complex and particularly complex in, you know, a short period of time, but we know, you know, um, in primary care, you have good relationships and you know your families well and all the rest of it. So, that helps in terms of judging those risks. I guess from the point of self-harm, you know, it means the common things we think about It's cutting and overdosing, but also there'll be other things like uh, having sex uh, with anyone and everyone, um, head banging. Um, sometimes people will get tattoos as a way of sort of getting over, you know, getting stimulated and making a statement and trying to communicate their distress as well. I've had people who've shaved their eyebrows off, um, shaved various other bits of their body which are less appealing just as a way of stating uh, that, you know, they're distressed um, and, and things. I think what we try and think about though is what's causing that. And the commonest reason would be emotional dysregulation. Now, unfortunately that's not a diagnostic label. And so that makes it quite um, a challenge. I think what we want to know in cans when we get the referrals in is that it's not that we don't believe the degree of emotional distress. It really, you know, it's often really significant that what gets presented in front of you really hard to manage. Everyone's distressed is unpleasant for everyone. But we are looking about what the baseline is. So how's someone functioning when they're not in those moments of distress or when they're not trying to argue for services, I suppose. Um, And emotional dysregulation, it comes and goes. I guess it can be triggered by both. Um, Another thing we'd be probably exploring, is it triggered by internal frustration? So are they perfectionists? Do they wanna do things perfectly, get it completely as it is, completely straightforward, and then get really frustrated when it's not gone the way they want it to go? Or is it triggered by external things, which might be uh, sensory overload or they've had a really nice day been really hyped up by, you know, being, I don't know, in drama group at school. And then that tips immediately then into not managing their emotions, but it tips into a very negative emotion, too. So heightened emotions can be nice, but they can then tip into negative emotions as well. Um, Relationship challenges. Yeah.
1: So, Chrissy, that's really interesting. So, so, am I understanding that actually asking them about how they are in the good bits of their day can be more useful in terms of aiding clinical assessment, comparing with asking about how the peaks, how bad the
2: peaks yeah. are of their distress? Yeah, sure. Right. We know the peaks are bad. That's why they've come to see you. We're trying to work out what their baseline is, I guess, and therefore to try and work out what other things we might want to exclude um, and stuff, really. So yeah, That's really interesting. And as a GP,
1: I suppose our worst case scenario is a child suicide. That would be horrendous. Um, And that's why we wanted to do this podcast to try and help colleagues um, look for those signs that are really useful, Um, but also understand a little bit more about what cams can and can't do. I mean, there are quite a lot of distressed children around, but what sort (laughs) of proportion of those children end up on medication or is it actually relatively small in your experience?
2: Oh, well, that's an interesting question. I can answer more easily the number of children that die from suicide. Um, so yeah, that would be useful. Yeah, there were five last year. Um, over the previous five years, um, it was about eight percent of all the children's deaths. It was forty-two percent are perinatal ones. So eight percent suicide, next highest cause, other than trauma or not not known, unexplained cause. So um, again, probably would fit into. Might, some of those might fit into suicide if we knew what they were thinking at the time.
0: Can um, I just um, butt in, Chrissy? I'm just say, those statistics, are they Dorset or are yeah. they England? Or, okay, so that's just. Sorry, they're one, Dorset, yeah, no,
2: they're that's from different. our child
0: death overview panel. Yeah, yeah. Just, just to put it in context. So they're from one region, one, yep. one county. That was, it. Yep. yes, thank you. Sorry, Sarah, just butt in.
2: And the trend's not particularly changing either. So the trend, even over COVID, we talked about it a lot, but the trend hasn't particularly changed, but small numbers, so hard. To get yeah. something that's statistical. Yeah. Um the number of young people on medication if i think about we have about 800 people in our pool cams at moment of which 250 would be under the medics so most people would not be on medication. Um and the medics tend to keep the patients for much longer because they stay on medication for longer than others in the team i would say.
1: Right that's really interesting. So out of the people that reach you um, once they're assessed and and go through to the clinicians, even a, a significant proportion of those don't end up on medication. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. okay. So, so what, sort, what sort of therapies do you end up offering um, if if they're not going down the medication route?
2: Yes, I think uh, so. There are there are a couple of processes in really, and uh, one of the key things to say I would is that we say emotional dysregulation or self-harming behaviours or a lot of children's mental health stuff is that we want the young people to learn about the things they're finding difficult and learn ways of managing it. And that's much easier to do it in situ. So in schools or in the family. So we'll quite often support families or schools to change, which isn't an expectation that families often come with. They want their child fixed and made better. But actually sitting a child down in a room for an hour a week if you're lucky, doesn't help them generalize to a practical situation where they're in. So it's much more about us giving advice and learning um, into situations. And most of our core CAMs work. So once they've got through Gateway would be uh, actively liaising either with social care or with other services, education, getting EHCPs, you know, generally trying to get a package around the child rather than doing one-to-one work okay
1: and chrissy in terms of that package around the child and mm. um, you mentioned schools school is clearly a huge part of, of a lot of young people's yep. lives but what does the average school what are they able to offer in terms of support for people who are having emotional dysregulation
2: um or the wider yeah cams uh difficulties so um I think they'll—they will offer support with, for teachers in terms of getting the classroom situations right, noticing where the flag areas are. Um, so we do have in Dorset—we've got some uh, mental health support teams which are in schools, and they've prevented a lot of it, referrals into CAMs by providing advice into schools to help them with the provision. Schools also employ their own ELSA workers and things, so there's quite often either counselling or mentoring or, you know, things that support or oh, uh, family work that comes some of the schools will provide as well that will help families learn about managing some of the stresses that we know our young people definitely experience.
1: Thank you so um, self-harm we see quite a lot in primary care and um, what are the key things to ask when evaluating how significant that self-harm okay. is from your perspective?
2: I think there are a couple of things that are big flags so um, if the young person has been bereaved and particularly if they've been bereaved with a peer. Uh, So, that's not true for adults, but it is true statistically for young people that it's um, peers and friends, if they've lost a friend. It might be if they've lost a pet, it's more significant. I think it's probably because they're at that developmental stage where they're suddenly thinking, oh, death is final. And they begin to think about death and then haven't processed it well enough. So, it becomes quite an intense thing for them if they're bereaved. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean a referral into CAMS because we don't treat youngsters who are bereaved but it is a flag to think this is I'm more concerned about this child if there are other things in place I need to uh, be more concerned about them really. One of the other things is if they uh, have an autistic spectrum condition so our young people who are autistic um, they have a number of challenges around suicide and their risk of suicide they're at higher risk of completed suicide than the average Um, youngster who might be self-harming and that's because they have the capability to be very focused on something so they will research methods they'll find out how to do it how they can do it and do it with a lot of detail they often don't understand their emotions very well they don't see the point of talking to people they don't necessarily have the language to describe their emotions But the ones that are most risky, actually, are the ones who have a bit of an existential crisis, which is what's the point of life? And it's not I'm depressed. What's the point of living? It's what's the point of life? I'm autistic. I want to know why I'm here and actually go into a real crisis stage during their teenage years sometimes. And they often would fit that criteria of the young men who die by suicide. Now, our challenge is that we haven't got good treatment programs that we're developing for that yet. It's just being raised and documented as, as an issue. And I think we will develop good treatment programs, but at the moment we don't necessarily offer things that are going to keep people very safe. Our option has been to admit them to a mental health unit, but actually that's often as destructive as keeping them at home, despite from possibly keeping them safe over a really short period of time. So that's a challenge. Um, and presumably it could be
1: harder to assess if somebody's autistic, perhaps there might be some communication difficulties in actually conveying um, how they're feeling and so on. So we should really be pricking up our ears as GPs. I think the
2: language about it, that they don't have the language necessarily. Uh, they might say it as it is. So if they say they're suicidal, you take it seriously because they probably mean it as it is, as opposed to a way of communicating their distress. That's not always true. It depends what their social skills are like. Um, mm. It's tricky, the RASC group. I guess the other groups are around that we, so eating disorders and psychosis both have a higher risk of death by suicide. Um, And the gender dysphoria group, which is an interesting group, I know our local in Dorset, um, ICB board are particularly concerned about that. Um, And we do seem to be seeing that there's an increased risk of suicide in that group, which we haven't quite explained yet. And there isn't much national research about it yet, Um, but they certainly are highly representative in the sample that gets through to CAMS i'd say
1: okay and um that's really interesting so if we have um gender dysphoria eating disorders autism as past medical history those are times mm-hmm. when we particularly might want to spend a bit of extra time on assessing yeah. risk okay
2: depression um, let's think let just mention depression though because that's i mean the obvious one isn't it you think yeah. about uh, with depression and dying by suicide and i think um The problem is teenagers' move go up and down all over the place, don't they? And so, actually, it can be really hard to assess depression. But what we would be looking for in CAMS are biological symptoms of depression, really, which I know is a really old-fashioned way of talking about it, but particularly their concentration going off, that sense that they're walking through treacle, um, early morning wakening, sluggish to get going, um, not being a – there's some evidence that their facial recognition – Goes off, so teenagers aren't very good at recognising other people's facial expressions. That gets worse. Uh, they can't tell colours. So, if they're a uh, textile or uh, they're doing art at school, they can't distinguish between colours as well. So, really, something very physiological that happens with that uh, depression, that sort of depression. We know that sort of depression responds well to antidepressants. Um, and less well to the talking type therapy. So at least you want it in combination.
1: Oh, that's fascinating. I've never heard about that colour issue before. That's really yeah, interesting. interesting,
2: isn't it? Yeah, yeah. amazing. Um, and
1: what about the sort of social difficulties and, and family setup and so on? Because that must have a huge impact
2: on, on how yeah. well young people do. Completely. And to be honest, in the figures of people who die by suicide, um, our or present to EDs more open to social care than they are to CAMs. So there is a, a reflection of past traumas, ongoing chronic trauma um, that young people experience, how families manage things, whether they manage the emotions in the family. Uh, yeah, really, really significant. And there's one interesting study, uh, which was on a population basis, that looked about people presenting to ED. And they found that you as at in, as increased risk of dying by suicide if you presented with self-harm as if you'd presented with a bike accident, or if you presented with alcohol intoxication, that all of those sort of rather impulsive or got into a fight, impulsive negative events uh, made you equally as likely to die by suicide. And of course, in EDs, we only follow up, we look at our self-harmers, we don't tend to follow up the other groups to see how they're doing, but they're equally as at risk. Social care are actively involved with that. And uh, as I say, more actively involved in CAMs. If we get involved, we'll be doing liaison work rather than uh, one-to-one therapy with a youngster. Fantastic. Into- so,
1: Although it's quite a frequent thing, self-harm, it is actually really, really significant in terms of um, severity and and prognosis potentially.
2: It probably only is with what's around the edge, actually. Um, I probably haven't described that very well because a lot of the emotional dysregulation and just using that to self-harm probably isn't very significant. And I'll have self-harmers who will choose where they cut on their skin, like to do it in patterns because that's what they like, the look of it. Um, And they're it is a communication of distress, but it's also a bit of they're using it as a sensory thing to sort of demonstrate, yeah, what they're doing. So, yeah, it, not all of it's serious. We're looking for the depression. We're looking for past history of bereavement, looking for the ASC. Um yeah, the other things That's that really about um, yeah.
1: As your safeguarding um, lead, I can't resist a little safeguarding question. Um, when we, as GPs, refer to the CAMS team, should we always be doing a separate concurrent referral to safeguarding, or should we wait and see Ooh. what CAMS see first? Think first. Ooh. How should we
2: go about that? Do you think? Oh, there's a thought. I don't know. I wouldn't know enough about how. We- I mean, there'd be people who present with sort of ADHD and depression who perhaps wouldn't need a social care safeguarding referral i don't know i think that's a very interesting question Hmm. don't know Hmm. there will be no harm in that but it does strike me as lots of extra work to do that might not go anywhere and you're then having that conversation with the patients and it might not go anywhere either um i think with cams so there is a this sort of myth that used to be around for a long time that we didn't see people fast. Um, Now with Gateway, um, which is our sort of uh, point of contact service, um, they will, uh, the agreement is that we see within four weeks, they, they have, struggled with that just recently because of the numbers that are coming in but they absolutely try to see people within four weeks and they will screen everyone they'll provide some psychoeducation about what's going on they'll do some signposting they'll do a bit of absorbing and they'll set people up for therapy if appropriate or to see a medic or whatever and they can fast speed through to people to us if they are very concerned about them so they think they need you know, uh, they're actively psychotic or something like that, they can fast be. Um, and so you can get through to CAMS Gateway quite quickly, um, potentially to have someone assessed. Um, it's then what the expectations are about what happens after that. The wait for CAMS therapy can be as long as a year if you're waiting for CBT. Um, so that
1: brings me on to the next question I was to ask Chrissy. Um, you mentioned signposting. What can we signpost families to whilst they're waiting? Because uh-huh. they, yes. it can be difficult when when faced with a, a you know an upset mum uh, or an upset dad um, with an upset teenager, and, and there's clearly very real distress. What can they do in the meantime to help themselves? What's your favourite resources? There,
2: well, there are there's lots and lots and lots of stuff online, and it's a question partly of being selective about it. So that's. Yeah. Um, and there are certain terms that you don't necessarily want to put into search, such as suicide. You know, it's challenging. You know, you get all sorts of stuff. Um, the CAMS All website has got a vast number of resources and has links to other pages and other resources, particularly to something like the, the Discovery Colleges. It's got a link on there which allows you to join in to uh, parent training courses or there are uh, virtual courses online that you just sign up for and can toddle along to. So there are links into that. Um, the Discovery College has some of its own stuff that it's produced, but also it has links to other things nationally that you can then link onto. Um,
1: and in terms of parenting courses, what, what sort of courses can parents do on the Discovery College? So they,
2: um, well, it depends what's running at the moment and what the demand is, but there might be things like a flash course or something which is for self harmers. Um, so parents of those who are self harming, really useful course helping you know how to manage it and hold you know, the anxiety around a youngster that's self-harming. Um, there's also things like Ascend, which would be the ASC course. That's an ADHD course for parents as well. Um, I haven't been on there recently. There, there are things about thinking differently. So how, how rather than getting them into the same sort of uh, track of the way of thinking that can be quite negative, it's how do you begin to think about things in a different way, links to mindfulness, you know, it's a, it's got see, a whole range these, of things. Really, are they free? These courses? Yep. It, yeah, it's much amazing. more a question of what's running at the time and whether you can access it at a time that suits you too. Right. Um, so they're not. But the of, Discovery um... College is growing. Um, mm. We we host it within uh, Dorset Healthcare, and it's really looking to improve its offer hugely. So it's developing all the time. So worth oh, keeping true. an eye on. But cams Dorset is a good place to start.
1: Fantastic. And just so that we can brief parents, are they online sort of webinar classes with other live people, or is it watching sort of pre-recorded it varies, material? Very okay. I'm afraid. Yeah. Right. Fantastic. So um, that's really helpful, just to understand a little bit more. I certainly didn't know about the Discovery College myself, um, and to hear a little bit about the kind of facts and figures about suicide in, in children, which is is rare, fortunately, yeah, but, but still it really so is rare. Yeah. Um, if, if you had any sort of um, nuggets that you wanted to share with gps about please do or please don't what what would they be chrissy i think
2: we don't worry about self-harm that much i know it's risky but you want to know your flags of your seriously ill depressed kids um your autism preoccupied with death or terrorism or whatever it is they might be preoccupied by that group um and I guess to think about bereavement and the impact of bereavement on young people, that you're just aware about it. And again, CAMS Dorset have got good uh, website links into things like Mosaic and our local services, um, but also national services about you, where you can get support if you're bereaved. We also in Dorset have a, a, something called the um, Contagion Protocol. So if a young person dies, we actively look for contacts. Um, so if a young person who was known for Dorset Healthcare, for example, or have been an inpatient, we actively look uh for uh, contacts and things so that we can try and follow up as many as we can um and ch- touch in you know um yeah that's really yeah. good to know and i didn't know that
1: either well that's a fantastic sort of summary at the end that you've just done chrissy thank you so much for your time in preparing for this webinar um it, it's been great talking to you and it will be lovely to to have some more conversations between different um departments it's really great to have you here such a skim through thanks
0: sarah Thanks so much, Sarah. And thank you, Chrissy. That was fascinating. So I'm a, I'm not a clinician, but I found that so interesting. Lots and lots of resources were mentioned. Some are Dorset, some generic, some sort of national. So what we'll do is we'll put a little list, that um, little run alongside this podcast so people can actually get hold of those. But thank you so much, Sarah okay. and, and Chrissy, for your time. It's been really interesting. And no doubt we might come back, I think, because I think there are some more things to explore here. <laughs> so thank you very much, everybody. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Okay, thanks, Sarah. You. Thanks thank for
2: organising yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, yeah,
0: all right. Take care.